The What Are We Doing podcast and the Aquatic Biosphere Project acknowledges that we are located on Treaty 6 territory and respects the histories, languages, and cultures of First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and all First Peoples of Canada, whose presence continues to enrich our vibrant community. Welcome to today's deep dive episode of the What Are We Doing podcast. Today, we're talking with Christina Caligari from Sea Choice and the Ecology Action Center. We're going to learn all about seafood traceability, how we really should care a lot more about where our food's coming from. Seafood is being mislabeled all over the place. And unfortunately, a lot of that comes back to food fraud. It can be a health risk and it prevents us from making sustainable choices. So unfortunately, we continue to reward unsustainable fishing practices. This is my second interview ever for the podcast, and it was so nerve-wracking, but Christina was a great guest. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn a little bit about seafood traceability and why you should care where your seafood comes from. Air. Vasser. Bunny. Moana Omi Tubi Agua Low Enxiu Nihu Nui Voda Miri Echi Chai Shui Maji Wai Nero Aqua Voda Water We Doing and how can we do better? Your one-stop shop for everything water-related, from discussing water, its use, and the organisms that depend on it, for all the global issues that you really never knew all had to do with water. I'm your host, David Evans, from the Aquatic Biosphere Project, and I just want to ask you something. What are we doing, and how can we do better? Thanks and welcome to this deep dive interview with Christina Calgary from Sea Choice and Ecology Action Center. Christina, do you mind just introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about you and what Sea Choice does? Yeah, thank you, David. Um, so my name is Christina Calgary. I am the Sustainable Seafood Coordinator at the Ecology Action Center. It's an environmental charity based in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Um, a little bit about me, I have a background in aquatic biology and management, um, and I, I got into the sustainable seafood space um, primarily through my master's work at Dalhousie, where I got the chance to work for a local fishmonger and also do some research um, conducting interviews with various actors along the seafood supply chain um, in an effort to uh, sort of look at the potential for um, better transparency and traceability within our seafood supply chains. Um, and so I've been working for the Ecology Action Centre for a couple years now, and my role is primarily um, focused on our, our sea choice work. So uh, I lead one of the main areas of work that we do. Um, and so Sea Choice is, is a partnership among three different NGOs in Canada, uh, the Ecology Action Centre being one, um, the David Suzuki Foundation and Living Ocean Society. 
Um, and so we joined together uh, in 2006. And since then, we have been uh, working on really trying to lead the next evolution of seafood sustainability in Canada. Um, we were created um, at the beginning to sort of increase consumer awareness around seafood sustainability. We were doing things like uh, ranking, ranking and um, scoring seafood sold in Canada. And then um, in 2017, we sort of did a big shift um, more towards being a watchdog and focusing on some other sustainability issues so that we could make the biggest impact possible. Nice. I've been following Sea Choice for so long, so it, it's really awesome to be able to talk with you and be able to pick your brain about all of these issues with seafood. Yeah, I'm really excited to get started. Just to kind of lay it out for some of the listeners out there. So what in your mind are some of the major issues that face seafood today in Canada? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's a few. <laughs> um, so first, you know, if we're looking at the environmental impacts and sort of going from where our seafood is starting out, so where it's harvested. We have issues mm-hmm. in terms of, because seafood is both wild and farmed. Um, it's quite unique in that way, different from um, poultry or, or cattle. And so mm-hmm. from the wild perspective, we have issues such as overfishing, um, so catching more than what can be replenished in the ocean, um, things like bycatch. So that's where fisheries will be uh, capturing other species, so not the target species that they're after. And unfortunately, a lot of that catch ends up going to waste. It gets thrown back, but oftentimes um, those species might um, might not make it. Um, there's also habitat destruction. A lot of the uh, gear that we're using within our fisheries uh, is destroying the bottom of the ocean. So things like dragging, where you're simply... Um, you know, dragging a net across the ocean floor um, is really, it's scooping up everything, right? So um, it's not leaving much behind. <laughs> so, it's not leaving that like habitat for those species to be able to use to recover. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then on the other side, if we look at aquaculture, uh, if it's not done well, there's also habitat damage. So um, one of the ways that we uh, farm fish or seafood in Canada is uh, in open net pens in the ocean. Um, and so those can create a lot of pollution from all the waste from the net pens. It has impacts on our wild stocks as well. Um, it can transmit disease and parasites. Um, sometimes there's chemicals being released into the ocean. Um, and then if, for example, the fish that are being farmed escape, then um, now there's sort of this competition between the farm species that are in the ocean um, and the wild species. So those, those are a few of the <laughs> just, uh, just a couple, a couple things just to start out with there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, and then some of the other major issues, um, if we look past just the environmental is the social impact. So um, the seafood that we get in Canada often is more, most likely not actually from Canada. We do import a lot of oh, seafood. Really? Yeah, so we, we export a lot, but um, we also import just as much. So it's it's close to 85%, I believe. Wow, that's that that's really high. I didn't think it was even close to that high. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> when 
you know, there, so it's not as much of an issue in Canada, but the, the seafood industry has had, um, you know, a lot of news around it lately, um, where the industry can be subject to things like human trafficking, forced labor, unsafe working conditions. Sometimes there's link to mm-hmm. organized crime. So there's a few social issues that are that are tied into seafood, um, and because we're we're importing so much into Canada, um, although it you know it might be happening elsewhere, it definitely you know comes back to us, right? So there's the social impacts as well, and then um, one other thing that I I wanted to mention being a major issue that we'll get into more today is mislabeling, of course. Um, oh, and so, here we go. Yeah, so along the <laughs> supply chain, so sort of moving past, you know, how seafood starts out um, along the supply chain, we now have seafood being highly susceptible to mislabeling and fraud. Um, it's it's definitely up there if you compare it to the other uh, foods or commodities that um, have instances of fraud. So I'm not sure if you've heard um, anything in the news about like olive oil, for example, being subject to um, some fraud and that companies will mix like other oils within the olive oil. So seafood is kind of similar in terms of the the amount of mislabeling that could happen. So I guess with olive oil, that's when it's advertised as virgin olive oil. That's the first part of the olive oil. I'm not exactly too sure about that. Yeah, so the oftentimes the company might put, yeah, let's say like extra virgin olive oil. They might put some of that olive oil in, but they'll often um, add in like a cheaper oil, so like canola oil, mm. sunflower oil. Oh, so they dilute it. Yeah. But different from seafood, but it, just uh, just to sort of highlight that, yeah, seafood is is one of the commodities similar to olive oil that are just a lot more subject to this type of fraud, which we'll get into, I'm sure. (laughs) That's really interesting. Yeah. So I guess, uh, I guess running along that line. So my background's more in, in biodiversity monitoring and field work, but something I do hear tossed around a term I hear tossed around in those communities is the term seafood traceability. I was wondering if you could give a bit more insight into what this means. And is this something that people should, a uh, term that people should be aware of, should should know about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Traceability is kind of my bread and butter. So I'm really happy to talk about it. <laughs> Came to the right person. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, so traceability, it's not entirely anything new. Uh, it's basically, in a nutshell, it's a tool that's used to track information from a about a product um, along a supply chain. So um, we businesses have been using traceability for a very long time, primarily for food safety. So if you, you know, do you want to make sure that the product you're selling, if there's a recall, for example, um, you're able to know where you bought that product from and you're able to trace it back so that you can take the source and then maybe remove such and such from the shelves if they're contaminated or whatnot Mm. um so it's been used frequently um in in any commodity really but it's gained a lot of attention within the seafood space because traceability not only allows for good product safety but it also can help to ensure legality so making sure that the seafood um sold wasn't associated with those social impacts that uh, i mentioned above or that it wasn't legally fished. Um, 
And then it can also be a really great way to uh, actually storytell and communicate to the supply chain and consumers um, because you're able to bring that information all the way to the label, for example. Um, And that's so important because seafood, as I've kind of alluded to, is it's super global. It's like the most um, traded commodity we have. And so seafood will move from, you know, multiple different countries, multiple different hands. And there's a lot, there's a lot that might go into the whole process of getting that filet on your plate. So, um, that's why it makes not as easy as it just came right from the boat straight onto your plate. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's a way to better connect people with, um, where their food's coming from basically. Um, and so traceability in itself, just the tool doesn't, doesn't equal sustainability. If, if a, if a product has traceability, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean it's sustainable. It means that you're able to hopefully get the information that you need, um, to then make that choice. So it, it seems to me and just shopping at a grocery store or going to a restaurant these days that there seems to be in the Canadian marketplace, like a, a big push for people knowing where their food's coming from, like a farm to table attitude or people really being invested in having organic produce or something to that concern. So it seems to me that seafood seems to be lagging behind that trend at this time. Do you think that that's an accurate representation? Do you think that people maybe don't value where their seafood's coming from, all of the components that go into it? And uh, I mean, as you've already alluded to, even if it's not the right species that it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely think that um, the awareness or the sort of care around where seafood comes from is certainly increasing. But um, I think you're right in saying that it is a, it's less than other food. And um, I think one of the, the reasons for this, and um, I can sympathize because I am from Ontario originally, um, not being by a, a coast, <laughs> yeah, not being by a coast, having exposure um, yeah. to how the food is caught or farmed is, you know, one of the reasons why people just don't make that connection. Um of course, we have freshwater fisheries in Canada, but they're de- they're definitely not the most common species that they're less visible eating. too. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's underwater; people don't see it. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I, and it is really complex. Like it's it's not as simple as just you know the cow that you're eating in your burger. It's seafood can be many different species. It can come from many different places, and so it just takes a lot more time. Um, to understand. And so I think those, those would be a couple of reasons why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely a very complex system. And I, I mean, you're blowing me away that it's 85% of the seafood we have in Canada isn't produced in Canada. Uh, I had absolutely no idea that's, and so that, that alone, just the complexity with shipping and importing um, and dealing with different jurisdictions and making sure those labels would come through, then that's, there can obviously be a lot of mix ups with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, And even um, just to add to the complexity (laughs) is that seafood, even if, so there's cases where we could catch, um, you know, let's say sockeye salmon in BC and um, 
but because you know we're so we're so globalized and it's really cheap to send our fish to China for processing uh, we might send that sockeye salmon from BC to China maybe we'll have some processing there and then we decide we decide we want to send it to now the US for some extra processing and then it could be sent back to Canada so you could be oh eating uh, you know, a Canadian caught fish, but um, because of our labeling, the way that we label our seafood products in Canada, um, it always says like the product of basically the last place of major transformation, which means the last place of processing. Yeah, so it would say the product of the USA. And so you'd look at the label and think, okay, this is a product of the USA, not Canada. So it gets tricky. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot of different layers on that. <laughs> Interesting. A large amount of your work focuses on if the species is correctly labeled. So if I'm just going through the grocery store and buying seafood, why should I care personally if the seafood I buy isn't actually the species that it says on the label? And if it's farmed or not, is that something I should be looking on labels? Is that something I should be caring about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are great questions. Um, so in terms of why you should care, there's there's a few reasons. One is sometimes mislabeled seafood, so a species being called something other than it is, um, is a result of fraud. So um, companies might you know, want to sell you tilapia, which is generally a cheaper fillet of fish and, and call it cod, for example, which would be maybe more expensive. Mm. Um, basically kind the of bait and switch. Yeah. Duping the consumer, you know, trying to get some more money for what it's worth. And because, you know, the consumers don't really know, like it's hard to pick out what the specific species are if they're all white and flaky. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. In some cases, that is the reason. And so I think most people would agree that they wouldn't want that to be happening. Um, other reasons could be, so there are some some health concerns related to species substitutions, um, primarily for, you know, pregnant women who, for example, um, you don't, don't want to have a lot of mercury, um, other conditions such as like histamine intolerance, sometimes um, certain species do have or like are subject to histamine um Hmm. and so for those people you know they would want to avoid that can be a big issue yeah exactly and it and it does you know they could really just try and avoid all seafood but um you know i think for most people they would want to still make a choice that feels right and and you know have the seafood that they want to eat um another like kind of more uh, widely spread example is um, a species called Escalar, which has been found to be substituted for white tuna. And uh, mm. this species actually causes some digestive upset um, in a lot of people. So, really, Escalar? Yeah. So, there's some, you know, there's some concern that, especially if it's mislabeled for something like white tuna, people would not suspect that that would, you know, impact them in any negative way and if it is mislabeled then they might not be happy with the results so that that's another aspect of it (laughs) yeah Um, so there's yeah consumer aspects of it there's health aspects of it mm -hmm. Um, are there sorry go on no worries i was just going to say the the other 
piece would be environmentally as well. Um, it definitely, the not having the correct species on the label definitely impedes the consumer in choosing a sustainable um, product because there's hundreds of species that we consume and, and not all of them are, are fish or farmed in the same way. Um, so knowing the actual species is, is kind of like that one piece of information that's part of the, the puzzle that uh, would go into making um, informed choice. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm stretching it here, but knowing where that species comes from, but which population it's coming from, I mean, the average Joe walking through the grocery store isn't going to know if it's from the southern area of their range or the northern area of their range, what that has to do with that species sustainability. But different fish stocks can be depleted at different points. And and if you're collecting fish from that area, then sometimes it can be sustainable. In some populations, it isn't sustainable. Yeah, you're exactly correct. Origin is a a huge piece. Um, And... Yeah, exactly. Like you said, there's different populations, um, you know, different countries have different, uh, you know, uh, aquaculture regulations. One might be, ones might be doing things better than the other. And so, yeah, origin is definitely another key piece of the puzzle that kind of goes into how we, um, yeah, how we make decisions on, on what seafood to buy. Um, and like I said, with, um, with our, with our, the way that we label country of origin in Canada, with the product of where it was last processed, that just makes it even more difficult. Yeah, how can you keep track? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is where traceability comes into play. <laughs> Perfect, I love it. You brought it around, brought full round circle there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I guess my next question is: This is a problem that we have in Canada: mislabeled food. Uh, within the seafood sector, do you have any sort of metric or uh, how how likely am I if I'm going to the store and I'm purchasing some seafood? How likely is that to actually be mislabeled and and it's something completely different, a different species entirely? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from our from our, our sea choice studies, we've been doing um, some citizen science testing for the past few years. So we have. Uh, results from 2017 and 2018, we found um, that seven or in 2017, 7% was mislabeled. Um, And then 2018, we found 9%. But so it feels, I mean, the number feels pretty low when you kind of look at it like that. But um, it's important to note that one, the species, the species that are mislabeled are sold in like such big quantities. So if you think about like seven percent of what's sold in Canada is actually a lot of seafood. Yeah. <laughs> so I was gonna say that's a huge amount. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not insignificant is it not insignificant at all. Yeah. And then but I shock you even more, there's some species um that you know have been found in in some other studies that have been done to be mislabeled 100% of the time or you know over 50%. So it stop stop <laughs> stop. That's crazy. Yeah, it is it's it's pretty shocking. Um and so yeah, so it, it does really depend on the species. On average, um from what I've seen from like some global studies, uh it has been around like 8%. But yeah, it, it really does depend on the species because some are some are just more subject to the mislabeling than others. 
That is blowing my brain right now. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, yeah. I, is, is this as big of a problem as well in restaurants? Yeah. So sometimes even more so. Um, at Sea Choice, we only did our studies um, uh, in Canadian retailers, but there have been studies where they included restaurants as well. And um, a lot of the cases, it, it can, the mislabeling can happen a lot more um, through it intentionally or in- unintentionally um, because, you know, from the intentional aspect, restaurants can do a really good job at masking like the fish. You know, you, you don't get it raw, yeah, you get yeah. it in a pasta or, or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And so that can definitely lend itself to being more subject uh, to mislabeling in that aspect. But also, you know, sometimes it's unintentional. Restaurants change their menus constantly. Um, and so, you know, that could uh, be a potential for mislabeling you know, simply because the menu just wasn't updated. Um, and there's also a little bit less oversight in restaurants. So the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, which is the governing body that enforces uh, food labeling laws in general, but also which includes mm-hmm. seafood. Um, and so they sort of have more jurisdiction over uh, retailers. Um, they don't actually have much to do in terms of like food service and restaurants. Interesting. Yeah. So they, so there's going to be a little bit less oversight in terms of, you know, the CFIA going to investigate um, a retailer versus a restaurant if there's like a yeah. complaint or something. So that's just another piece that might often makes restaurants a little bit more subject to mislabeling as well. I would have thought it would be the other way around that the um, just buying something from a grocery store would be more likely to uh, to have something that's mislabeled. But yeah, I, I hadn't even thought that um, grocery stores would have less oversight on their, I guess, what they list on their menu compared to what's actually provided. So I guess it's it's more based off of each restaurant's individual um kind of mantra their their uh their morals in that area yeah definitely and it's not to say that all restaurants are you know going to be have more mislabeling than retailers but um yeah certainly they they could be a little bit more at risk and another factor um also is is language so we call fish a lot of different names (laughs) um uh, in canada but also globally right so sometimes you know you might have like a sushi restaurant for example and the translation just translates to something that isn't an accepted name in canada and so it's no fault on their own it's just that um you know there's there's language and cultural barriers that could also um you know make that instance happen a little bit more well that also gets to um something that i'm quite familiar with uh with just the differences between common and latin names of species mm-hmm. and how common names you can have common names for so many different fish or so many different plants and it means the same thing for each one but that's why you need to use the latin names to be able to actually differentiate the species and be able to tell them apart mm-hmm. yeah so the a big part of our sort of labeling and traceability campaign at Sea Choice has been advocating for um, the inclusion of a scientific name on seafood labels. 
because we really do feel mm-hmm. it's important um, to have that on there. And we've also we'll co- we'll be coming out a report uh, this fall where we've actually looked at the whole fish list, which is basically the the list of common names for species sold in Canada, and it's like it's sort of, it's like a a guidance for industry for labeling. Um, and so we've went through and, and we've sort of um, looked at the issues where some you know common names are misrepresenting certain species and sort of trying to trying to encourage the use of of more at least more detailed common names but also definitely that scientific name it's, it's definitely very important yeah yeah that's that's really interesting um, I, can, I can only imagine that we have a lot of species on that list oh, thousands uh, that yeah. are represented <laughs> as a few <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, so I've started noticing that in some grocery store chains and when you go to some restaurants, there seems to be all of these different seafood certification labels or different processes to certify seafood. So I guess as a large part in this, just marketing strategies, or are these really ones that you can live by and, and trust in the labeling? Because as when you go to a grocery store, you're putting a lot of blind trust that, this is what it's advertised as. So are there some labels that are better than others? Or what should we be doing when we're going to a grocery store to evaluate how we purchase? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a great, great question. And I, I really feel for consumers in terms of trying to navigate this complex world of labels and certifications and and everything. So it does get a little complicated. Um, we actually just put out a report Um, not too long ago called certification verification or fabrication and we did an investigation into seafood Mm. environmental claims and canadian retailers so it's exactly your point um there's so many different um symbols and and labels but you know there's also uh you know retailers kind of coming up with their own um seafood claim if you want to mm-hmm. call it and so it gets really tricky to figure out um yeah is, is it greenwashing is it really good marketing or is it actually sustainable and so um the the claims can kind of be broken down into three different kinds of claims so we have the the certifications so that would be kind of that familiar blue check mark the marine stewardship yeah. council that you've probably seen um and then the the, the lesser known but um, in the same vein, Aquaculture Stewardship Council, so AS, ASC. Um, so okay. those would be the certifications that you'd see in the grocery store. Um, and then you'd also see endorsements. And so endorsements are like OceanWise and Dolphin Safe. Um, so they're like their ranking programs or they're, um, you know, a symbol to say that there's no dolphins harmed in the in the making of this product, for example. Um, and then the fir- the third claim would be sort of those like self-declared claims. So they're not they're not really backed up by any sort of endorsement or certification. Um, you know, they're just basically saying on the product label, like, we're sustainable. We did this properly. We're socially responsible, for example. Um, and so what we found, we we did a whole study and collected, um, went out and collected all these pictures of different labels and grocery stores and then analyzed them to see if they had evidence to back up their claims and whether or not they were actually sustainable. And we found that um, 
the the certifications definitely um, were the best in terms of being able to provide evidence for their claim. This is because they have third party audits. Um, the supply chain uh, pays in to the certification to have the local on their product. They also have something called um, a chain of custody, which is it's similar to the concept of mm-hmm. traceability, but it basically just means that um, each actor along the supply chain um, has that chain of custody and they're able to keep the MSC certified product separate from the other product. So you make sure the product moves through the supply chain with that MSC label. Um, so, yeah. So to answer your question, I mean, when, when going to the, <laughs> when going to, um, the grocery store, we often recommend, you know, look for the, look for the ego certifications, um, endorsements also great OceanWise is an awesome awesome program um and they also have you know we found quite a lot of evidence to back up their claim as well and, and they do so much work to um provide you know that that's simple that says you know we've done the work and and this species or this product is sustainable what we did find that was most troubling was that the uh self-declarations didn't have a lot of mm. evidence to back up their claim. And a lot of times they were from unsustainable sources. So those are really the ones that you want to be a little bit more wary about. Um, and yeah, so we do, we do recommend, you know, certifications and rankings are great. Uh, in the background, we are um, doing a lot of work to improve MSC and ASC at the same time. Um <laughs> Because we do have, you know, issues with sort of the standards that they that they base their certifications. Yeah, so we're we recommend them, but also, um, you know, know that we're working hard to make them as good as as they yeah. can be. Yeah, they're they're a work in progress, but they're better than just without anything out there. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, uh, I was wondering. Is Canada a leader in this kind of space? I know we import a lot and we do export quite a bit, but as you're saying, we have these different certification methods that maybe aren't perfect yet, but we're working towards improving them. Is Canada a leader in getting the labeling to a a place where we can begin to trust that our seafood is what it, it claims to be? Or are there other areas in the world that are really pushing this fight and, and we're a little bit behind them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't say Canada is a leader. Uh, we definitely have a lot of work to do in terms of our MSC, like certifications, for example, you know, and ASC as well. Um, a, a lot of our fisheries are certified, which is great. Um, but in terms of the actual job that we're doing in terms of labeling and, and traceability, uh, we're definitely lagging behind. We um, we had a report that we published in 2017 where we sort of assessed uh, Canada's labeling against the European European Union and um, the United States, and we are far, far behind. So we we only um, we only require the common name and then um, the origin, as I had mentioned earlier, mm. on a label, whereas uh, the European Union requires a lot more um, and things that we've been asking for. So things like the scientific name, um, they have to have the catch region um, or the, the area that the, the farm was. 
Um, and they also have to say, yeah, they have to distinguish between wild and farmed and they have to say how it was caught. And so, yeah, so Canada has a long way to go in terms of, um, you know, bringing up to that standard. And, and so Sea Choice really sees the EU's way of, of um, or the labeling laws in the EU um, as kind of like a, a gold standard somewhere that we would want to work towards. Um, in terms of mislabeling, uh, we are, I would say, around the average. We're not too much different than like the U.S., but there has been studies that have shown um, after the EU did put in better labeling and traceability laws that their mislabeling did go down. So um, certainly that's, you know, it's a case for us to be making those improvements now. But as people who want to know more about their food and want to understand what you're putting in your body and how that plays with the rest of the world, I think there there definitely is a lot of interest in in knowing where your food comes from, not only where it was most recently processed and know exactly what species it is, if it, how it was farmed. I think those are those are really important things for uh, for someone to make an informed decision if they want to have make sustainable choices and, and healthy choices for them and and uh, just having trust in the marketplace. I always kind of point to this fact that, um, so the Monterey Bay Aquarium in the United States has been for years doing these scorecards. So has, they have kind of like that green, yellow, and red stoplight sort of system okay. yeah. um, where they say the species that are ranked um, or the products that are ranked green are like your best choice. Um, yellow would be like an okay choice, and then red would be a bad choice. And mm. it's it's great that they've done this much work, and they are you know constantly updating the rankings and everything. But as a consumer, I mean, we usually say you know check check the app that they have, check the website. You know, if you see a product in store, you can check and then see you know would it fall under green, yellow, or red. But because Canada doesn't have that information on the label, particularly the actual origin and how it was caught. The consumer comes mm-hmm. back saying, well, I, I didn't have enough information to make that choice. So yeah, it's, it's kind of undermining a lot of the work that um, the sustainable seafood community has been working on for years to try and improve um, sort of our seafood market. So yeah, if you don't have the information, how can you make an informed choice? If I am listening to this podcast and I, I'm getting all all fired up about this, what could I do to help uh, bring this bring this to a larger audience, bring this to uh, my representatives in in Parliament or something? Is there what are, what are the steps that uh, everyone can take to just help help with this fight? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a few things. Um, you know, one would be. If you can, next time you're in the re- or in your local grocery store and you want to make a purchase on on a, a fish, let's say let's say the label just says sole or something, um, ask the people at the fresh counter. Be like, you know, can you tell me what species it is? Can you tell me where it was caught? Um, can you tell me how it was caught? Even if they don't have that information available to you, it at least sends the message that you care. And that you'd like to know, mm, yeah. Um, because really, a huge driver for retailers to make those changes is what they're hearing from their uh, consumers. So that's one thing you could do. Also, you know, in restaurants, ask the waiter. 
um, just ask away <laughs> really is what I <laughs> usually say. Um, it's not really going to do any harm, even if they don't have the answer, even if they give you an answer that's not entirely right. Um, it's frustrating. At but least it starts that conversation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's one thing I would encourage, you know, just every individual um, can do um, as well. So we're going to be doing another round of our citizen scientists project for the um, mislabeling um, in the fall. So for sure, um, you know, we'll have it out on our, on our social media that we're, you know, we're doing a call out for volunteers. So definitely if you're interested, you can get involved that way. Um, another way you could get involved would be uh, we're actually working right now to make sure that uh, the Canadian government holds their promise for a boat to plate traceability program. This was a, uh, promised um by the liberal government last year and so we're yeah we're currently just making sure that they uphold that process and that that traceability program actually results in better labeling and better traceability overall so there'll be lots of opportunities to sign petitions um show your support um just follow us and and you'll definitely get the notifications to um yeah to support what we're doing and uh, make sure that that these changes happen. The last thing that if you if you do see any sort of fishy claims, as I was mentioning before, in the in retailers or or restaurants, you can actually um, report like a food safety or a labeling concern to the CFIA. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if you are concerned about a certain product, if it's a product that like maybe you buy a lot and you just don't really know you know, whether it's true or not, first, for sure, reach out to the company. But um, if you're not really getting answers, feel free to, you know, reach out to the CFIA because they will likely follow up and um, can sort of address those issues as well. That's really interesting. Cool. And uh, I have um, one of the test kits from LifeScanner, so I'd hopefully be able to take part in the citizen science testing. I guess, are there any species that going into a grocery store we should be most wary of? Or does that change throughout Canada and, and throughout different regions? Yeah, it can be it can be a little bit variable. But um, through our testing, we've especially found that on the, the West Coast that like snapper and rockfish species can be mislabeled a lot. Um, the reason for this is because, uh, so rockfish fall under, um, a genus of species called, uh, Sebastes. And so that group of species are, they're very similar in the way they look. And, um, mm. and there's a lot of different species within that, um, sort of genus. So, and what's, what's ends up happening is that there's a lot of different names that you can actually call those fish as well. And, oh, and they yes, do have yes. a, a tendency to be labeled snapper, which is incorrect because it's a completely different species. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so yeah. both ones we found are, are, are subject to a lot of mislabeling. Um, tuna, certain species of tuna have a history of being mislabeled. The big one would be Atlantic bluefin tuna. Um, mm, although yeah. you might not see it in, you might not really see it in, 
you know, restaurants or anything anymore because the populations are quite low. Sometimes mm -hmm. they are labeled as such because they are such a high commodity fish. Um, a lot of the different white fishes can be um, mislabeled. A lot of the times it's more um, unintentionally. So, yeah, you might have cod being called Pollock. You might have, um, you know, Pacific cod being called Atlantic cod. Um, a lot of the times that could mostly just be because you know, the person at the counter switched things around and, you know, things get mixed up sometimes. Um, and mm -hmm. then a, another common one could be also salmon. Um, not so much the species, but uh, whether it's farmed or wild or, you oh, know, whether yeah. it's Pacific or Atlantic salmon. Um that could also be another case. So there are some species that are, are more prone to mislabeling, but it would it would highly depend on kind of where you are. Wow. I have learned so much, Christina. This has <laughs> been amazing. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Where can people find out more about your work and what the Ecology Action Center does and, and Sea Choice? Yeah, thank you. It's been a great conversation. Um, so... We have tons and tons of information on our website uh, for Sea Choice. It's just seachoice.org. Um, we keep it really updated. We also have kind of like a blog on there where we put out um, news pieces frequently um, that either relate to what's currently going on or, you know, how something kind of relates to our work. So definitely check out the website. Um, you can also follow us on social media. Uh, we're just at Sea Choice on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, and you can also sign up for our newsletter on the website. That's where you'll get um, not too many emails. <laughs> Every few months, <laughs> we try to um, send out a newsletter that kind of like summarizes uh, either work we've done, articles we've really enjoyed, general news. Um, so it's a great place to get some information about what we're doing as well. Um, and then similarly, a call Jackson Center, uh, you can find us on all the social media channels. And we also have our website that goes over all of our work in depth as well. So yeah, I would just encourage people to uh, follow us, get involved. Um, I'm, I manage C-Choice's social media. So if you ever see a label that looks funny, feel free to take a picture, tag us. Uh, we might be able to get some more information for you. Um, yeah. So follow us there and yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for speaking with us. And for all those listeners, if you're interested in this, you know where to go now. And uh, you can say hi to Christina on the social media channels there. Thank you so much for speaking with us. And we're so excited to see what Sea Choice and the Ecology Action Center do next in this space. So thanks, Christina, and all the best. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much to Christina for speaking with me about this incredible topic and for putting up with me as I was learning how to interview someone and going along with my stammering and question asking. So thank you so much, Christina. It's greatly appreciated. I learned so much by just even going to the Sea Choice website and looking at their social media presence. They do so much incredible work in this space and their recommendations are very, very solid. So if you're interested at all in this topic, topic, definitely you want to check out their website and it's going to be linked in the description. And also for the Ecology Action Center, a wonderful organization out of Halifax. Very, very great work. 
on a multitude of environmental issues. Thank you so much for listening to the What Are We Doing podcast. It's been such an experience conducting these interviews and producing these episodes. And it's been great to get lots of positive feedback about these episodes. So unfortunately, these are the last episodes for season one. Fish fraud is our last topic that we're covering in this season. But don't worry, season two will be coming your way soon. I'm the host and producer, David Evans, and I would just like to thank the rest of the team from the Aquatic Biosphere Project, specifically to Paula Polman, Sophie Cervera, Anna Bettini. Thanks for all of your help. To learn more about the Aquatic Biosphere Project and what we're doing here in Alberta, telling the story of water, check us out at aquaticbiosphere.ca. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, we'd love to hear them. Email us at conservation at aquaticbiosphere.org. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. It really helps us out. Thanks, and it's been a splash.